Okay. Father, would you just teach us afresh how to pray, how to seek your face. And as your word says in 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will seek my face, humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways and pray, I will hear from heaven and heal their land. And we just say, Lord, we need your healing power at this time. So come, we pray, as we seek you, would you come like never before and may your kingdom come and your will be done here in this country as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen. We're going to have our Bible reading and then David's going to uh, share with us. The reading today is taken from Luke 5, verse 33 to 39. Then they said to him, John's disciples, like the disciples of the Pharisees, frequently fast and pray, but your disciples eat and drink. Jesus said to them, you cannot make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them, can you? The days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and sews it on an old garment. Otherwise, the new will be torn and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new wine, but says, the old is good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I think there's a real sense of God's presence here this morning. Uh, a real sense of the joy and the sweetness of the Lord. And I think sometimes um, we can have a tendency that when we then open the, the Bible, we think, okay, engage brains, and we switch our hearts off. And I want to say, don't do that. Um, so can we just bow our heads again, and I'm just going to pray that that place of ministry, that place of encounter, that place of the Holy Spirit moving in your hearts as well as your minds would continue. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Meet with us. Delight us. Renew us. Refresh us. Speak to us through your word. Amen. As Jane said, I'm David Ingle. And, and I don't want to say anything more about myself because I want to dig right in because I feel that we're in a place where the Lord is, is speaking, the Lord is with us. And, and what I've just prayed... I think is so at the heart of what God wants to say to us today. Because I think that, that we do sometimes have a tendency to bypass our hearts when it comes to looking at the Bible. I, I love digging into Scripture. I love exploring it. I love getting my mind around what it says and understanding it better. And I hope we're going to do some of that together today. But first, I want to get our hearts around it. I'm more passionate and more excited about discovering the heart of the Bible and encountering the presence of God through it than I am understanding it. In fact, I've come across plenty of people who know far more than I will ever know about this book and yet haven't got that. And what I long to see today and what I'm praying for, for you and for me as we look into this is that you would encounter God 
and that Jesus would give you a fresh and deeper revelation of how amazing and how extraordinary it is that you have the chance to encounter him. How amazing he is, the transformation he brings, and then also the challenge that comes with that. So I I want you to be keeping your hearts open as well as your heads and not allowing that kind of bypass moments to happen. Because uh, this is a passage which can take us down all kinds of rabbit holes. There's lots of questions that we have, some of which we'll cover. Others you might still have at the end. Come and ask me about them if you do. Um, And we want to sort of think about Old Testament backgrounds and New Testament backgrounds and what was going on in first century Judaism at the time. And we miss that Jesus is hitting us with such sort of tangible stories that this is a passage which has three parables in it. The first parable is talking about weddings and parties. The second one's new clothes, and the third one's booze. Um, You know, we're we're not in the realms of academia. We're in the realms of partying and celebrations and joy, and it is exciting. And what Jesus is saying to them and what Jesus is saying to us is, I change everything, and I am absolutely wonderful. Wonderful. I am what you have been waiting for. I am what you have been longing for, actually, the people of Israel, for centuries. And nothing compares to me. Nothing can compete with me. And it is brilliant. And they were sat there thinking about the last party they went to. And it was probably good. I mean, weddings in Israel. I mean, I thought my wedding was a, was a big affair. I, I was a vicar at the time. And um, uh, my wife and I, we realized you can't invite half the church. It's the quickest way to really annoy people in your church. So we invited everyone. And fortunately, um, in this context, I was always disappointed by it in others. But fortunately, we were a small church, so we could do that. Um, but we still had 300 people at our wedding. Uh, it was a big affair. We had a spit roast. It was exciting. I thought it was, it was big until I read about Jewish weddings in the first century. Apparently, when a virgin in Israel got married, the party went on for seven days. That is quite a party. (laughs) And they're all thinking of the last one they went to. It was a glorious month. Or or, um, then there was the people, I mean, some people just love clothes. I've I've never, until quite recently, got it. I've never been that excited by new clothes um, until I had a daughter. She's two, and she loves new clothes. Gets a new pair of shoes, and she opens the box. Shoes for me! Yeah! And it's, it's wonderful, and it's glorious. And some of you are like her, and you think, new clothes, yes! That is what it is to encounter Jesus. That is what Jesus brings. That's the way that Jesus changes our lives. And then uh, he's talking about new wine. We'll, we'll dig into it a little bit more. It's, it's, a, it's an image of abundance and of plenty, of renewal, of the overflow of God's blessings and God's presence. And it's wonderful and it's glorious. And, and they're listening to it and they are thinking, yeah. Sometimes I think music can help us engage with our minds. And so when I was planning this, um, I wanted us to listen to a, a little piece of music uh, and we're going to, uh, should we start playing it now? Um, it's, it's from Haydn's creation. Um, and it tells of the moment in music, um, or through music, when God creates light. And there's a moment of transition and transformation 
which just stirs up emotions in me that I think explains, explains is the wrong word, but explains with my heart uh, what Jesus is talking about in this passage. I saw some of you jump. I have to confess, the first time I ever used that as a sermon illustration was in an all-age service, and the kids cried, and it, it, was, it was not good. But it, it's a glorious moment, and, and Haydn loved Jesus, and he was trying to write something that spoke of the joy and the wonders and the beauty and the goodness of creation. And what we're talking about here in, in Jesus' is coming is the wonders and the glories and the beauty and the goodness of new creation. And those soaring kind of chords um, after that, that transition moment, that's, that's what I'm talking about. And too often we're still in the sort of the prelude, the bit before when you're thinking, this is a bit boring, be honest. But then, and, and I, want to, I want to just hold us there in that place of delighting in Jesus. Hold us in that place that we were in in the worship. It's actually one of the things that I love about this church. I love about you guys and, and our congregation that we, we want to press into the presence of God. And we do get something of that. Oh, God is good. What a delight. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds, as the old hymn puts it. But only something. Because, friends, you can never get to the bottom of Jesus. You can never fully understand. I mean, he's throwing all the best stories out there, all the best images of joy and celebration to help us take us a little bit deeper. But it, it, it's not just that, that in Jesus things are wonderful. Things are wonderful on a whole new level. Things are incomparable to anything else. I think sometimes, perhaps not in this congregation, but sometimes we sort of put Jesus alongside all the other things that, that are going on. Or we say, Jesus is great and, and something else is exciting. And, and Jesus is saying here that he is everything. And that's the challenge that we're going to come to in a moment. But also at, at what we begin to tease out if alongside our hearts, keeping our hearts open, we do then engage our brains and realize that all of these images are not just images of good times and partying and celebration and joy. They're also images of God showing up and doing his stuff. So in the Old Testament, the bridegroom is not just... And any old metaphor. The bridegroom is God, and Israel is the bride. And so when somebody turns up to a first-century Jewish audience and says, I am the bridegroom, what he is saying is, I am God. And all that you've been longing for, that is going to happen when God shows up, when God moves, when God pours out his spirit, that is what is happening now. So this isn't just another party. This isn't just 
another wedding like the one that you went to. This is the wedding. This is the party everyone has been waiting for. I am God, and I am now doing my thing. Now, many of you will know uh, sort of the, the other image. It's in one of Jesus' parables as well of the new robe that is given to the wedding guests in the sort of the wedding. And he's talking about new clothes. And the new clothes are not just, oh, do you remember the last pair of jeans you bought? They were pretty cool and you were excited. It's like that. No, it's that and then on another level. There is a God showing up, eschatological, outpouring of the Holy Spirit idea here. And also the wine. Although the wine is the one that we find hardest to get our, our minds around. Because new wine is not something that really excites us. Um, and this has been really confusing me. And actually, this passage confuses me even more. Because at the end of it, it seems to say, well, and no one after drinking old wine desires new wine, but says the old is good. And that seems to contradict everything that Jesus has just been saying. And uh, I'll come to why I don't think it does, actually, in the end, um, in a little bit. But... But we have in our mind that, that, well, if you get a wine buff round to dinner and you serve them a 35-year-old claret, they will faint with excitement. If you get them around to dinner and you give them new wine, not so excited. In the olden times, it was completely different. And that's because ancient wine, well, I've been looking it up. I got so confused, I went and found a history of food blog, and I, I read a little article about what did wine taste like thousands of years ago. And the answer is nasty, <laughs> with underlying notes of totally gross. A typical wine from ancient times would have had a nose redolent of tree sap, giving way to a salty palate and yielded a finish that could only charitably be compared to floor tile in a public toilet. <laughs> Oof, that is not nice. Ancient wine tasted like... Ugh. Um, and the reason, well, the reason there's a big hint for it in our passage, wineskins. How many French chateau or leading Sussex wine houses do you know that sell their wine in wineskins? No, I didn't think so. I can't think of any either. And there's a reason for that, and that's that wineskins are not airtight. So the wine gets oxidized and ruined. And uh, vintners tried to sort of get past this by adding some tree sap or resin or other delightful and delicious sounding additives to the wine. But basically, it was vinegar, or a little bit worse. So their experience of wine, and particularly old wine, because the longer you leave it without the cork out, the worse and worse and worse and worse it gets, is... Ugh. Whereas new wine, okay, it's still fresh. It hasn't completely turned. It's not total rubbish. New wine is fresh and fizzy and exciting and uh, an image, therefore, of abundance. And an image of God's abundance. It's an image that comes in the prophets. New wine is when you're, you're not just assisting on the old stuff. You're not just getting by, but when God has poured out his blessing, when God has poured out the good and the tasty and the fresh and the new. There's a, a beautiful prophecy in Amos um, where uh, he talks of the messianic age and how God will restore David's fallen tent and uh, all kinds of things like that. And it says, new wine will drip from the mountains. Isn't that a beautiful image? New wine dripping from the mountains. That's happening when God turns up and again Jesus says, that's me, that's now. That is what's happening. 
And so that sense that hopefully you had in the music, when it just went, that sense that you have when you think of a party, all of those things, it's what's happening. But it is not like any of those. It's more than any of those. It's bigger. It's better. It is what happens when God intervenes and all the, the promise of life, all the goodness of the world, all that is right and godly is renewed and transformed and the Holy Spirit is poured out on the people of God. And Jesus is saying, that is what is happening in me. And so hear that. Hear that with your hearts. But alongside it, I also want you to hear a challenge. If you only get one thing from what I have to say today, it's that God is glorious, Jesus is glorious, and feel that swelling joy in your heart. But if you only take two things, the second is the punch in the guts that Jesus gives us just after. There's something about how Jesus talks to us that is love and joy and celebration at the same time as challenge and that punch in the guts that, that, that forces us to re-examine and recalibrate where we are at. And this is a passage which is full of tension as well as joy and celebration. It starts with um, the, the people coming and challenging Jesus. They said to him, John's disciples, like the disciples of the Pharisees, frequently fast and pray, but your disciples eat and drink. We've no idea who they, they are, but they are not Jesus' friends. They are not on his side. This is not an innocent, nice question. They're trying to catch him up. They're, they're having a go at him. And so tension is in the air. And, and fasting is really just, just the sort of surface issue. The, 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 the thing about fasting was that if you were a really keen and, and sort of committed religious person, you'd fast twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays. And that was what the Pharisees who were keen did. That's what John's disciples who were keen did. And that's what all people who were serious about God did. That was the way things worked. But Jesus' disciples didn't do it. And actually, they're not really upset that Jesus' disciples aren't fasting. And Jesus sees through what they're doing. They're upset that Jesus is not doing things the right way. And we always have a right way. And he's not following it. And so he says, well, it's not about fasting. And he, he gives them the first story completely deals with that issue because that, that seven-day wedding feast, one of the things that used to happen in it is that the rabbis would suspend Torah school. Nobody would fast. All the sort of normal religious disciplines of life would be stopped because you were celebrating something so glorious, something so of God, something so wonderful that this couple was being married in Israel. And so he says, you do that for a wedding. What about the wedding when God shows up? Of course, this is even greater. This is even more wonderful. So the, the question about fasting has been answered. But then he makes clear, I'm not really talking about fasting. They will fast again, he says. So he, he's not trying to say something about that. And please do join the church's 21-day fast. Jesus spoke elsewhere of fasting. They did it in the book of Acts. It's a wonderful thing. It's a glorious way of pressing into God, but it's not really what this passage is talking about. So we'll part that. What this passage is talking about is a group of people who want Jesus to conform to their expectations. A group of people who want Jesus to fit in with the ways of the world. And Jesus says, 
no. I think he says no in a sort of crescendo, in that he doesn't just give an answer to the question. The, the, the first parable could just be an answer to the question. Oh, it's a celebration, it's a wedding feast. But then there's a little bit of a bit of grit in there when he talks about the bridegroom being taken away from them. And do we see a hint of the cross? Do we see a hint of Jesus going back to the Father and the age in which we live, in which there's still the ongoing struggle and tension between the ways of God and the ways of the world? And then he, he has this thing about new clothes, and it's ridiculous. It's, it's slapstick comedy. I mean, who goes and buys a new piece of clothing and then immediately cuts it up to patch up some holy old rubbish that you've got sitting in the wardrobe? Nobody does that. You're meant to be laughing, but because we're conditioned to get very serious when we look at the Bible, we miss that Jesus is cracking a joke. But then it really bursts forth, both the joke and the sort of, you can't put Jesus and the old ways together, you can't contain Jesus, you can't put him in a box, with this image of the wineskin. In fact, actually, this is, I think, why I would say the final verse is not Jesus saying, actually, the old ways are best after all. Not only would that contradict everything he'd been saying, oh, yes, the Pharisees have got it right, do what they say. No, he's joking, because in their world, nobody ever said, oh, I've just had the old wine, it was delicious. Why would I want the fresh, new, exciting, delicious stuff? Said nobody ever, until they invented wine bottles and corks, and then said, everybody. But he's saying, look, it's ridiculous, but that is what you are doing. So there's, there's a kind of needling, there's a sort of stirring things up. You Pharisees, you they, whoever you are, you, you just want to stick with the old ways. God has shown up that the Messiah is here, the Spirit is about to be poured out, the new wine is dripping from the mountains, and you're saying, no, I'd like the old stuff, thanks. It reminds me of, of that sort of um, image that C.S. Lewis um, uses. And he talks about children from the slums playing with mud pies in the dirt and not wanting to go to the beach to make sandcastles and play by the sea because they're enjoying what you're doing. You'd, you'd never do that if you knew what, what was waiting for you on the beach. And, and the religious people of Jesus' day, the people who are pushing against him, they're the ones who want to play with their mud pies in the dirt of the slums when the beach is beckoning. And Jesus is saying no. Jesus is saying no, and in, in the verse just before, he makes clear how completely incompatible the two are with this beautiful image of bursting wineskins. And it's not an image that is familiar to us, because we've never used wineskins, but in some ways you get it as you read it. Um, that if you put new wine in an old wineskin, it bursts. And the reason is that you'd ferment the wine in the wineskin. And uh, if you put it in a new wineskin, it's still supple and stretchy, and the, the sort of stitchings and the, the sort of joins are all supple and stretchy. So as it ferments and, and, and kind of expands, that's okay. The wineskin can cope with it, all good. But if you put it into a brittle, old wineskin that has no space for that expansion, it just goes everywhere. And Jesus is saying, not only am I better than everything that's ever gone before, not only am I more glorious than the world, not only am I joy and celebration beyond your wildest dreams, but you can't put us together. You cannot put the new wine in the old wineskins. Now, it's easy for us 2,000 years later to try and sidestep this verse. We assume, well, he's talking about 
Judaism at the time. He's talking about the Pharisees. He's talking about the old ways, but, well, it's no longer new, this stuff. You know, Jesus has been around for 2,000 years. The Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. This isn't a problem for us. Wrong. Because what Jesus is talking about is trying to contain the fizzing and glorious and unpredictable life of the Spirit. The, the, the move of Jesus when God is doing something within the constraints and the wineskins and the containers of this world. Whether those are the containers of religion and the ways in which the church tragically over the years has tried to sort of box in God or the containers of the world. But the reality is that we still try to mix Jesus with everything else. And I was praying just before this service, and, and praying actually also in the midst of that moment when we were having that sweet encounter with God. And I thought I wanted to challenge us on this. Because I think we are all people who know what it is to drink the new wine. And in some ways... Jesus is talking to that group of people when, when he says this. Because he's talking to people who know what it is to drink the new wine, but then try and pour it into the old wineskin. I think there's a way in which every generation tries in this way or that to squeeze Jesus into the old wineskins. And I think a way in which every person does as well. And I want to ask you, do you have the same zeal and passion for Jesus? The same, take the world but give me Jesus uh, idea on Monday morning as you do on Sunday morning? Is what you've just been experiencing and encountering in the presence of God just for now? Or does it percolate into every part of your life? And the reality is that if you think the answer to that question is, no, I'm, I'm totally on fire for Jesus all the time, well, just talk to your wife or husband or mum or dad because you're, you're, we're not. You're wrong. <laughs> we're all sinful. We're all compromised and we're all tempted to try and squeeze Jesus in alongside something else. And sometimes it's the thing of our generation. I think in some ways we're at the epicenter of it as Anglicans at the moment in the Church of England. I think our wineskins are in danger of bursting any moment. And for those of us who are in sort of church leadership, James or I, or those of us sort of above us, bishops, if there's any bishops present, or those in the leadership of the church, um, being willing to be unpopular, to say something that people don't like to hear on um, sort of human sexuality, sexual morality, LGBT, LGBTQ issues, it is something which is not compromising and using the old wineskins of the world. But even as you nod and shake your heads, that's not the challenge for most of us. Some of you, the issue will be in that area. Some of you are attracted to other people of the, the same sex. Some of you are not married yet and wanting to be sexually active. Um, some of you may be wanting to do things uh, in terms of um, fulfilling your sexuality, which the world would say is fine and the Bible would say no to. And you need to discover that the new wine of Jesus is greater and better than the fulfillment of the old wineskins that the world would push at you. But again, even as most of us nod, that is not my challenge. It is maybe not your challenge, but you do have old wineskins. Maybe for you it's money. 
Maybe you put your trust in Jesus and your bank balance. Maybe for you it's your reputation or your health. Maybe it's your career that that you want to succeed and and you sometimes try and persuade yourself that you're trying to succeed for Jesus, but actually deep down you know it's because you are following after that idol of success. For so many of us, actually it's family. I, I mean, family is wonderful and glorious. If you come to the Nine, you'll meet my wife Liz and my daughter Beatrice and they are a delight to me. They are, oh, they bring me so much joy. But God must come first, even above them. And all of life, God must come first, even above everything. And whoever you are and wherever your life is, however on fire for Jesus you are, there is an old wineskin sitting in your cupboard that needs to go out with the trash next time the bin men come. Get rid of the old wineskins. Pour the fresh life of God that you encounter and experience in the Holy Spirit into new wineskins and say, Jesus, I want just you. And that is the challenge of this passage. And so I want to to say as as we finish, I I kind of have two, two groups of people in mind, two ways in which we might need to respond. For the first group... All I really want you to know is the sweetness of Jesus. You've never encountered the sweetness of Jesus, or maybe you've become jaded and you've lost it. You've been a Christian many years, but, oh, gone were the days when you were dancing up the front uh, with abandon. And the Lord would say, just come back to me. The Lord would say, do the things you did then to stir up your first love for me. Or if you're not a Christian at all, Come and have someone pray for you. Carry on coming to church. Come on Alpha. We're running it in our uh, small group at the our KFC at the moment. But but just come to know me. What you need to know is the sweetness of the new wine. Because once you've tasted the new wine, the rest of it will look like rubbish. And so if that is you, that is the word that God would say to you now. Get excited. Celebrate. Know the joy and wonder of God and relationship with him. But for many of the others of us here today, there is also that challenging call, repent. Repent of where you have prioritized sexuality, fulfillment, health, well-being, reputation, money, career, family, whatever it is, and you've put that above Jesus, and he would say, ever so gently, come back. Repent. Renew your focus. Can I just ask you all to stand? And I wonder whether we just... Just, just close your eyes um, so that you're not thinking about me and, and everyone else. And, and just, just focus on Jesus. Whether for the first time or the 101st time, say, Lord Jesus, can I know this? Please meet me. Please stir up your joy and wonder in me. And I want to pray, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit.